As the days passed, the feeling persisted, a kind of vague apprehension that seemed to follow me like a shadow everywhere I ministered. Then, as I was returning from a weekend seminar in Virginia, I found myself face to face with a half-forgotten enemy. The weather was cold and wet as I boarded the plane at Richmond. Immediately after takeoff, we were swallowed up in overcast. Unaccountably, my heart began to, to pound. I felt the same rising sense of dread I experienced that day so long ago, walking into the hospital in Sharon, Pennsylvania. The fear was so real I could almost taste it. You'll never make it home, something inside me wailed. The plane is going to crash. Normally, I have no fear of flying. In fact, I thoroughly enjoy it. As a licensed private pilot, I have endured my share of tense moments without panic. Once a small aircraft I was piloting cut out far from an airstrip and I was forced to make an emergency landing in a field of waist-high wheat. Neither my passenger, nor I, nor the plane was hurt and I stayed calm throughout the episode. Yet... Now in the large instrument-aided airline, an insane fear of crashing turned my arms and legs to jelly. I peered out the window at a wall of gray fog. I couldn't even see the wingtip. Are we climbing or diving? I wondered crazily. We could be stalling right now. I began to grip the armrests, but my hands were so weak I could scarcely close them. Then I tried to will the aircraft into a normal attitude by staring straight down the cabin aisle. But it didn't help. I felt certain we were in a steep climbing turn and that any minute we would nose over and plunge to the earth. I shut my eyes and began to pray. A scripture verse popped into my mind. Resist Satan and he will flee from you. Summoning my courage, I began to say repeatedly under my breath, Satan, in the name of Jesus, leave me alone. After repeating the prayer more than a dozen times, I found myself breathing a little easier. Slowly, I began to open my eyes and look around. Across the aisle, a businessman was reading his newspaper. A stewardess strolled past with a stack of magazines. Seeing the whole cabin normal and peaceful, felt the fear began to recede, crawling back into its hiding place. By the time the plane landed at Fort Lauderdale, I was feeling fairly normal again, except for a dull ache at the base of my spine. Alice met me at the gate. Are you feeling all right, Don? It was a rough flight, I answered evasively. Yet it was not the flight, and I knew it. The apprehension which had dogged me built during the evening until I began to feel physically ill. The fear and dread I had felt on the plane belonged to something I thought I had left safely behind me in Sharon, and I was deeply dismayed by its reappearance. The next morning was no better. The ache in my back, in fact, was worse. Every time the telephone rang, my heart would jump, and every little noise irritated me. I was alone in the house most of the day with the children. 
in school and Alice shopping, trying to work out at while I was trying to work at my desk. Normally, I would have welcomed the peace and quiet, but that day I couldn't concentrate. I felt as if some evil spectator were standing right behind me. The sense of foreboding was almost unbearable. The weather didn't help. It was a muggy gray day with a restless wind whipping the trees. The very atmosphere seemed hostile. By noon, the pain in my back made it impossible to sit at my desk any longer. I gotta get out of this spooky house, I told myself. Climbing into the car, I backed out the driveway. There was a blast of a horn and a screech of tires. I jammed on my brakes and twisted my head just in time to catch a glimpse of a panel truck with its white-faced driver swerving on two wheels up onto my neighbor's yard. He managed to miss me by inches. The truck roared off while the driver's companion mouthed some words. I was kind of glad I couldn't hear. Too unnerved to drive far, I stopped at the closest restaurant and ordered some food, which I picked at miserably. Half an hour later, I drove home and entered the silent house. I stretched out on the living room couch and fell into a fitful sleep, only to have a nightmare in which I relived the near accident. I woke up in a cold sweat, my heart pounding. If this keeps up, I thought, I'll be a candidate for the asylum by the end of the week. I was both relieved and irritated when Alice and the kids got home. I thought my sense of foreboding would ease with the family around me, but it didn't. After I had snapped at the kids for the second time, Alice said, Have a hard day? I nodded. I feel miserable. And when I went out to lunch, I nearly got hit by a truck. I didn't bother telling her it was my fault. Maybe you're coming down with something. She put her hand cool hand on my forehead. Why don't you stay in bed tomorrow? The following morning, nothing had changed, so I took Alice's advice and stayed in bed. But despite the nerves and the backache, I knew I was not physically ill. It was something else. I wrestled against my depression most of the morning, trying to read my Bible, trying to pray. Alice brought me lunch on a tray. Feeling any better? She asked. Not really, but it's nice to be pampered. Will you be all right if I leave for a while? There was love and concern in her voice. Of course, I've got a tape I want to listen to anyhow. So Alice left. The house was ominously quiet and just as unfriendly as the day before. Determined not to let this one go to waste too, I set the tape recorder beside the bed and put on a tape by Derek Prince on which I had wanted to make notes. How could it be that having heard the tape several times today, for the first time, I really heard what he was saying? Quote, We found that evil spirits may gain entrance into a person through many ways. The cause may be the deliberate and repeated indulgence of some appetite of the flesh. Or an unexpected tragedy or grief may make one vulnerable. In short, any kind of strain or shock which causes what we might call a breach in the person's normal defenses offers demonic spirits an opportunity. Take fear, for instance. At the word fear, something inside me constricted. 
A mother places her small child in front of the television to watch a children's program while she goes to another part of the house to work. Unknown to her, the program ends in a horror movie. Unknown to her, the program ends and a horror movie comes on. The child sits before the television and becomes terrified and a spirit of fear rides in. My heart began to pound furiously within my ribs as I listened to the words recorded. I somehow sensed that what Derek was saying had great significance for me personally. I also had the distinct feeling of something inside me trying to smother memory. Blocking out some particular experience which had related to what Derek had said. I closed my eyes and tried to concentrate. It was something way back in my life. Back even before my teens. Then, all at once, I remembered the incident swept with cruel clarity into my mind. I had been only eight or nine at the time. It was a hot summer day. My brother, Hal, and I had caught a bus to town to go to the movies. But instead of seeing the western film Mother had given us permission to see, Hal dragged me to another theater. He had already paid our admission and led me inside before I discovered it was a horror movie, one of the classic vampire films of the 1930s. The eerie music, the haunted house, the stormy night, the moans, and the ghostly screams. Worst of all, the vampire. That satanic, leering face, half hidden behind the black cape. I was petrified with fear and pleaded with my brother to leave. Hal, let's go home. I am scared. But Hal was four years older than I was, and those four years had placed him safely beyond the terror that was reaching for me. Be quiet. It's only a movie. Nothing can really happen. But I'm scared. I want to go home, I said. If you're such a big fraidy cat, wait for me outside. But I was far too terrified to head up the long, dark aisle alone. That horrible, blood-sucking thing might grab me before I could reach the safety of sunlight. Yet to stay was torture, too, beyond anything I had ever endured. I squeezed my eyes tight against the horror on the screen but I could not block out the sound. I buried my face against the sweaty, smelly back of the seat and cringed and cowered and shook until, recalling those desperate moments, I am convinced, I became possessed by fear. Terror, hidden for 35 years, began to emerge as I sat there on my bed listening to the even voice on the tape machine. All at once, the dread enemy inside rushed out of hiding, screaming against the walls of my mind. Fear, fear, the thing was naming itself. Only this time it was not the same as when it had attacked me in the hospital and in the airplane. For despite my violent trembling and churning stomach and the piercing pain in my back, this time I somehow felt as if the spotlight of God's love had been turned on in sight of me, forcing the frightening, crawly thing within to reveal itself. It wasn't me screaming this time. It was the thing itself, 
the arch enemy of my life confessing its name. Fear that had caused me so much misery. Fear the enemy of peace and the opponent of trust. Fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of poverty, fear of living, fear of dying, fear, fear, fear. And before I could renounce it or command it to come out, it began to move. First, I felt something like roots tear loose from the lower part of my back, right in those vertebrae where the throb and ache were located. Then the thing moved into my midriff, rolling and churning and convulsing. I felt it rising up through my chest and into my throat, choking me. I doubled over the side of the bed and began to retch in an angry, gasping convulsion. Yet somehow, even then, I could feel the presence of God. It was as if I were some kind of sponge filled with dirty water being twisted and wrung out by a pair of giant, loving hands. I retched one more time and a stream of hot bile came out of my nose and mouth, and I could sense I was in physical contact with the true nature of the filthy spirit which had lodged within me. Then as suddenly, as it had begun, the gagging and the convulsions ceased. Cautiously, I raised up, and, oh, I cannot describe what I felt like. It was as if I had experienced some kind of inner bath or shower. I felt shining and clean and at peace, a peace such as I had never known. The whole room seemed filled with the presence of Jesus, as though Jesus had been standing all my life, with arms stretched out to me in love, delivered until the moment I had always been, it was delivered from. Let me try that again. Until that moment, I had always believed it was delivered from. But, oh, how much more it is delivered into that immense compassion. Jesus, I heard myself crying. Lord 